0: As we turn to chapter 16 this morning, it is helpful to know that in chapter 15, you have one of the highlights of the life of Abraham. And God enters into a covenant promise with Abraham. And that means this. It is a relationship that is profound, profoundly personal. It is an unbreakable relationship. Which requires of each part of the, each person in the covenant love, grace, commitment to one another, and so God promises to Abraham, "I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will love you with an everlasting love." And the passage in what has become some of the most memorable words in all of Genesis says this, and Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so coming out of that experience of profound intimacy with God, we now come into chapter 16. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. And so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. And so after Abraham had been living in Cana 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrongdoing. I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me, and may the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, So she fled from her. A few years back in the New York Times, there appeared a rather strange article. And it was strange because the writer had investigated a strange phenomena taking place at one of Houston's international airports. And the story in essence was this, that passengers at the airport were consistently complaining about waiting a long time for their bags after they had left the aircraft. And so the administration at the airport conducted a survey, and they sent several people out with stopwatches and clipboards, and they completed the survey, and they discovered that after someone got off an aircraft, it took them between 60 and 65 seconds, one minute to get to baggage claim. And then they had to wait seven or eight minutes for their bags to come. And people were complaining that they had to wait so long. Frankly, if I had to wait nine minutes from the moment I stepped off the aircraft to pick up my luggage, I would consider myself the most blessed of all men. Nine minutes doesn't seem long to me, but in Houston, it was a, a long time, apparently. And so, the airport hired more baggage handlers, but the complaints didn't stop. They hired more personnel to represent the airline who would point people towards the baggage claim in order to move them through even quicker, and it did not help. An opportunity came up for refurbishing one part of the airport, and what they did was this. They extended the walk from the aircraft to the baggage claim by another three minutes. And when people got to the baggage claim, their wait time was cut in half. And now they only had to wait three or four minutes rather than seven or eight. And the complaints dramatically were reduced. And this morning as we come to Genesis chapter 16, what we will discover is this that throughout Scripture there is a biblical principle that is difficult to learn. And it's difficult to learn because when God has promised us an event or promised us that something will come to pass and we believe it's taking too long, we get very frustrated And the temptation is to focus on the event itself or what we are longing for rather than focus on who we are becoming while we wait. And throughout Scripture, we find again and again and again who we are becoming coming by the grace of God is so much more important than anything we will ever do. And that's the dominant lesson in Genesis 16. And one would imagine that coming out of chapter 15, God's covenant promise, moving into chapter 16, you would find a narrative of unquestioned obedience, one of uninhibited faith, where Sarai and Abram move from one blessing to another, one exciting episode to another. But that is not the case. And it's not the case because Sarai is very aware that God, 10 years earlier, when he initially called Abraham, and that was a wake-up moment for Abraham, never in his experience had God broken into his life and drawn him into an encounter. But 10 years previously, that's exactly what happened. And when he called Abraham, he also said to him this, Abraham, I will give you a child, even though You and your wife, Sarai, are incapable of having children. My hand will be upon you. I will give you a child. And that child and subsequent generations will go on to bless all of humanity. And your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Now, in our first Sunday together, I also said this, that we need to be thankful... That whenever Scripture provides a profile of an of an individual, Scripture often shows us real people living real lives, facing real problems that are at times contradictions, that are hurtful, painful, and very messy. And that's exactly where we're going in chapter 16. This is not a comfortable passage. It's not a passage that leaves you feeling good, but it may challenge you into those deep recesses of your soul. And that's exactly where we're going this morning. But let me please give you a health warning. And it's this, that although the passage teaches us that who we are becoming coming is much more important than what we'll ever do. It also teaches us this, that sometimes our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our deepest longings may take us to places our character cannot sustain us. Hence, who we are becoming is more important than what we'll ever do. And so we come to chapter 16. Now, as the chapter opens, we read, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. And so she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant, and perhaps I can build a family through her. And I imagine Sarai speaking to Abraham and saying, now, Abraham, do you remember back 10 years when God initially called you and he promised to give you a son and he promised that the descendants of that child would bless all of humanity? And you can imagine Abraham saying, yes, Sarai, I remember it. Abraham, has God blessed us with a child? I, no, he has not. Abraham, I need you to think and think clearly. Let me ask you to remember, did God in the midst of that promise ever say that I would be the mother of that child? He said, Abraham, you would be the father. Did he ever say that Sarai would be the mother? I imagine Abraham kind of scratching his head and saying, well, actually... I'm not sure he did promise that. And then Sarai says, well, Abraham, you and I both long for children. You know there would be such a blessing in our lives. You know it would be an answer to prayer. You know that a child in our life would be God's provision for us and also for generations yet unborn. Abraham you also know that in out of the Chaldees, where we were brought up and we left 10 years ago and as we wandered up to northern Mesopotamia and then further south through Israel and Canaan over to Egypt, the culture has always been that if there is a maidservant living in the family home and if the wife is agreeable, the husband can take a second wife. And you see Abraham saying, yes, Abraham, maybe Hagar is God's provision for us. She's a young lady. She's of childbearing age. She knows us. We trust her. She's lived with us these last 10 years. Now she's in her early 20s. Surely this is God's answer to prayer. Surely this is his provision for us. Now you begin to see where this conversation is going. And notice what Abraham does. And Abraham rather sadly takes a position of apathy and indifference, lethargy, detachment. And in essence he agrees and says for all intents and purposes, Sarai, if you believe this is God's provision, So be it. And so Abraham takes a second wife. Now, I think most of us this morning, our hearts go out to Sarai. Because if you or someone in your family has been unable to have children, you will know something of the significance of the pain and the difficulty that comes with that. But let me also add this. And let me give you another health warning. When you begin to invoke the name of God upon what you plan to do, and you then manipulate and purpose and scheme and plan and manipulate circumstances to suit what you've always wanted to do and then attach God's name to it, you are on very thin ice. Very thin ice. Last Sunday morning, do you remember back in the earlier passage in Genesis where Abraham was traveling down to Egypt with his wife, Sarai. He was fearful for his life, and he said to Sarai, Sarai, why don't you pretend just to be my sister? And she entered into the palace of Pharaoh, and he was willing to compromise his wife's purity for the sake of his own security. Do you remember that? Abraham was in thin ice. But they've come a long way from then. And you would imagine that both Abraham and Sarah could get their mind around what God was doing. But please understand this. Each Sunday morning, each of us, I trust and pray, are able to lesson, to learn rather, biblical principles to live out our lives. But the trouble with us is this. Not only do we learn them, but the temptation is to forget them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. It's one thing to say, yes, Richard, we get that Sunday morning. It's another thing entirely to apply those lessons and hold to biblical principles as we seek to live out our life in the messiness and distraction of everyday living. Now in Genesis chapter 3, The Scripture is absolutely clear. A man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. And as Christian people, we, of course, would go along with that. It's a biblical principle. It's God's purpose and plan for humanity. That a man will leave his father and mother and become one with his wife. It is designed intentionally by God. It is called a creation ordinance that in that deep loving relationship between a husband and a wife, not only is it designed for the full expression of love between a husband and wife, it is designed that that love would grow deeper and richer and sweeter in the years ahead. And not only do you find it in Genesis, not only do you find it in Matthew's gospel, when Jesus is quoting Genesis, you find it in Ephesians as well. And as Christian people, we believe in the sanctity of marriage. One man, one woman joined together for the rest of their days. And we support it and pray for marriage and should. And here was Sarai, so harped. So bereft, so longing for what she felt would answer all her prayers and fulfill her as a lady, was willing to take those biblical principles and then shift the conversation to convenience and personal desire. And inevitably, we know what happens. It was, for all intents and purposes, a train wreck. Notice what happens. Verse 4, he slept with Hagar and she conceived and when she knew she was pregnant she began to despise her mistress and then Sarai said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong, I am suffering, I put my servant in your hands and now that she knows she is pregnant she despises me and may the Lord judge between you and me and then Abraham comes back, your servant is in your hands Abraham said, do with her whatever you think best. Please understand the gravitas of what just happened in those two or three verses. Abram and Sarai treated Hagar as an inanimate, soulless, baby producing machine, and then are surprised when Hagar suddenly discovers she's expecting, and once she looked up to her mistress. Once she respected her. Once I imagine she wanted to be like her. And now Hagar has been able to do what her mistress could not. And she's holding it over her and despises her. And when Sarai complains to Abraham, in those two or three verses, neither Sarah nor Abraham use Hagar's name. Not at any point. It's my servant and she and you. It is so much easier to show disrespect and abuse to someone if you can depersonalize them and that's exactly what took place. The rest of the chapter, thankfully, as Hagar flees, God intervenes and he meets with Hagar and she comes to a full and wonderful knowledge of him. But meanwhile, back here, There is problem after problem, and Abraham is no longer the strong, faithful leader. He simply hands it over to Sarai and displays incredible indifference and apathy, and seeks to distance himself. She's your servant. You set all this up. You get on with it. Now, if Abraham had had his eye on God in the first place, and gentlemen, please hear me when I say this. When your wife or a daughter or someone you know comes to you and seeks your advice, pay attention. Listen. Abraham's primary responsibility should have been to put his arm around his wife and say, Sarai, let's sit down. Let's take five minutes and talk about this. Sarai, do you remember when God tested us in the past, we learned a lesson that God is sufficient for every situation we face. God is sufficient. And remember when he's tested us in the past, did he test us to work out how we would respond? No, because he knows how we would respond. He tested us so we would understand how not to respond. And we would grow in the process. And Abraham should have said, now Sarah, remember, he has been faithful to us He has been diligent in his love for us. He's been leading and guiding and directing us. And said, I remember Egypt when I got it so badly wrong. Said, I don't want to get it wrong again. Let's trust him. He knows what he's doing. We submit and surrender our will to him. He doesn't submit and surrender his will to us. But Abraham does not. Abraham does exactly what Sarah wishes and it ends in disaster. So how do we wrap all of this up this morning? Two lessons we touched on moments ago. And please hear me. And let me say it again for the third or fourth time this morning. God is sufficient for your every need. Not just the little ones, not just the middle-sized ones, not just is he sufficient on Sunday morning, but Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and every morning. Whatever the circumstance, whatever the chaos, whatever the pain, he is sufficient for your every need. Secondly, remember he is faithful. Whenever you come across a difficult situation and you're hurt and you're wounded and you do not know what to do next, he is faithful and he'll be right there with you as he was with Abraham and Sarah. In fact, in verse 2, when Sarah lays all of this out, you read those words, Abraham listened to Sarai. What a difference it would have made if it said Abraham listened to God and in the Hebrew language that word listened isn't simply he was paying attention he was listening intently he was learning he was actively engaged and then went along instead of standing firm spiritually and finally please remember this that Sarai believed she knew best. She knew that if only God would allow Hagar to have a child, if only God would listen to her, if only God would do as she was longing and pleading and praying for, her life would be fulfilled. And God refused to be manipulated by Sarai Why? Because he was saying, Sarai, I want you to experience motherhood. I want you to understand the love of a wee one. I want you to hold that child in your hands. And I want you to understand what that means. I don't want second best for you. I want the very best. But Sarai, please hear this. You have to wait On my timing. Because his timing is perfect. Now to us it often seems late. But in the purposes and plans. And eternal decrees of God. He's got it absolutely right. And the final lesson we learn as we wrap it all up. Is this. Patient. Perseverance over a protracted period is a powerful, heartfelt reminder that we are every bit as important in who we are than in what we are seeking and what we want. Because character and integrity and love, and grace, and honesty, and transparency, and our relationship with him is far more important than anything we will ever do for him. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of scripture this morning. We freely confess it has not been comfortable to study it. And nonetheless, we recognize that our primary responsibility is to submit and surrender each day to you, to live under your lordship. Father, for those of us who are grieving over a situation we are facing, we ask that you would lead us and guide us, equip and enable us, please to submit and surrender to you. Father, bless us, please, we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.